0: So we're on part three of this uh, series. We'll be finishing up next week. Um, I have really just enjoyed learning more about John three sixteen and what those words and those numbers mean. And so we, the, kind of the mantra for this is that we've been following in Locato's book. Uh, he loves, uh, he, well, he gave, uh, we believe, and we live. Can you say it with me? Uh, he loves, he gave, we believe, and we live. Okay, so it's very simple. And so today we're going to be focused on the part three of that is about believing. And so let me just read, um, let me go back to the original text here, and then I've got, there's three little parables I'm actually going to talk about later on in the message today that um, really drive home the point. So John 3, and so let me just begin with uh, 16, 17, and 18. So here these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Indeed, God did not send the son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. So, you know, last week we, we talked a little bit about, you know, pay up or else. I gave you that little theme. By the way, I did go to Walmart this last week. I got my wife's world changed. I had, didn't no one even threatened to arrest me this week, which was wonderful. It was a victory. Uh, and so we talked a bit about, you know, that theme, you know, about God's amazing grace. That's not the way, you know, when you look at 317, as I just read, it's not about condemning the world, but God gave his son to be able to save the world. And then we talked a little bit about the word world, and the word world for John has everything to do with, uh, we go back to the original Genesis story, and how God has sent, or gave his son in order to bring order to an out-of-order world, because there's a sense of chaos in the world. And God gave us Jesus to bring order to the world. And, and, and the reason why we're out of order, and I gave you that text from, well, I think it's one of the greatest, well, the second, maybe most famous story is where Moses is having that conversation with God, and God says, Moses, you need to get down there. Uh, things have gone awry, and, and you know they made the golden cap. And what's very interesting, you look at God's comments, he's referred to his chosen people as stiff-necked people or bull-headed people. And so, um, so I, I love this quote, you can be bold enough to accept him, you can be humble enough to serve him, you can be strong enough to follow him, you can be open enough to believe in him, but you can be bullheaded enough to resist him. Can they amen on that? Hmm. So this week, um, we're going to be focusing on believing. I, I love that. Uh, you know what, I, I when I was doing my sermon preparation for this this week, that the word, You know how sometimes you get a song in your head and you just can't get it out, and it just keeps kind of playing over and over again? And so I had this phrase going through my head this week and it has to do with one and only. I just kept focusing on that theme, for God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten, or for God so loved the world, depending on which translation, that's the King James Version, NIV, new Rabbi Version his one and only son, whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. One and only. And, and so, um, I, you know, one uh, of my kids were all growing up, um, I mentioned to you maybe a few years ago, that um, we, they all went to Citrus Cove Elementary in Boynton Beach, they all went to the same elementary school. And so every, every fourth grade, I think it was, that um, they would go on the infamous St. August team trip. And, and, um, and I was like the only team dad. I, somehow, I always, uh, Donna said, That's your gig. You go take care of that. I, she stayed home. And I said, Fine. And so there were lots of teen moms, but I was the, like the only, the Lone Ranger on the team dad. But I love going on that trip. And so I, I think I went on every single because we have five kids. So I think I went to it at least five times. And so I was in charge of a bunch of unruly little fourth graders that were running amok. But I'd always had to and bring them all back in, and they love, you know. Of course, they love going to the old fort. Has anybody ever been to St. Augustine? Anybody? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking. So you got to say, oh, you got to go see the old fort. And because they're fourth graders, they make it a little bit more of an educational experience. They take, it, take you down. And they not only do you go there, but they also take you well, to the old hospital. And, and so they're literally, it's kind of almost like going to Disney World. The people there are actually in costume, they, they talk in that kind of old uh, English way, or in either it was English or Spanish. And so I, I thought was, that was interesting. They used their primitive tools, that they would, how they would do things back in the 1560s. and kids thought that was really, really cool. By the way, the Spanish were a little bit ahead of the game in the 1500s, 1600s. They figured this amazing thing out. If you just kept things clean and you change people, well, if you change the sheets every time, people live longer. Amazing, isn't it? They figured that out. Um, And so that was amazing. And then the other thing that kids really loved, it was going to the old jail. Love going to the old jail. They, they thought that was the coolest thing. Okay. And what's very interesting, um, the old jail, um, you know, when Henry Flagger came down and started building his railroad and went all the way down to St. Augustine, Henry was, you know, almost a little bit like the villages in that he wanted things to look a certain way, evidently. I don't know if you realize that, but things look a certain way in the villages. Matter of fact, I know for a fact they want things to look a certain way because if you go and look at the cross and the flame in the front of our church, in the front and the back, that the villages had something to say about the pigment of the red tint that we used in the cross. There you go. We had to get that approved. Pay attention to the details. So, so uh, the villages and, the, and Henry flags. So if Henry decided, evidently in the jail, when they were doing something in the jail, he didn't want the jail to look like a jail. Henry made the jail look like a hotel. And what was very interesting, when people get off the train, people went, well, they thought they were going to the hotel, but they're actually going to the jail, knocking on the door. Hey, do you got any rooms? Sure, we got plenty of rooms. They're behind bars, but come on in, right? Okay, so there is all that going on. So I, I, I think it's interesting, you go back to the you know, history, is that it would be easy to get lost in St. Augustine. And the other place that I think was very interesting to go and visit, if you've never gone to this particular site in St. Augustine, is the cross. And I've seen the cross. A matter of fact, I've got a picture of the cross in St. Augustine. I, I love this picture. This is the cross in St. Augustine. And so um, I, I thought of this this week and it's interesting because if you ever, well, if you ever get lost in St. Augustine, just follow the cross. In other words, if you find Jesus, you can find your bearings. And then one of the things that Locato talked about in his book, John 3, he says, John three sixteen, lifts Jesus to new heights. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus is the one and only. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I, I love that, that Jesus is the one and he is the only. I thought this was actually a very interesting quote. On the bottom of that, of that cross in St. Augustine, there's a plaque there. The, plaque, the, the cross is 208 feet tall. Um, this is what it says. This cross marks the approximate site where in 1565 the cross of Christianity was first permanently planted in what is now called the United States. That's right, Jesus arrived in America here first over a half century before the pilgrims ever touched their toes into Plymouth Rock. I thought that was pretty good. You follow the cross. You follow the cross, you get your bearings through Jesus. Jesus is the one and only according to John. John 3.16 lifts Jesus to brand new heights. I love that. I think it's really, what's very interesting, you think about that in the context of this, is that uh, uh, John does not say that Moses was the one and only. He doesn't say David was the one and only. He doesn't say Abraham was the one and only. He doesn't say Muhammad was the one and only. He doesn't say Buddha was the one and only. No, um, according to the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus Christ is the one and only. Matter of fact, there is a theme that we find in John's writing about referring to Jesus as the one and only, the world became flesh and made uh, his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. John 1, 15, 14. no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself God is, is in close relationship with his father has made him known, John 1, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, John three eighteen. Now this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, First John 4, 9. And for God so loved the world that he gave his, well, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. There is a pattern here. One and only. Hmm. You know, it's also very interesting, that phrase, one and only. If you go back to the Greek, uh, the Greek there says, uh, it's the word monogenus, Mono or monogenus. Mono means one. Genus has to do with species. Or it has to do with um, the idea of offspring or family or race or kind. Oh, I mean, here's a thought. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, his, his only begotten son. Don't miss the detail. Because Jesus Christ is one of a kind. Can they amen on that? It goes back to the original Greek. And what I also love about this is that if you go to the book of like Genesis... And once again, if you go back and you look at the old King James version, um, his um, for God to so love wor- the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Okay, so the word "begotten" had, comes to do with begetting. And if you go back to begetting, it means that someone from generation from generation is someone is passing on their DNA, their, their identity from one offspring to the next offspring to the next offspring to the next. And so when you get to like Genesis 5, you, you find over and over again, there's a whole lot of begetting going on here, right? Just go to Genesis 5. I mean, And you go back to the old King James Version, uh, it, 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 their the little translation is beget. So in other words, when you go back and look at the the translation and you think about God's relationship with Jesus Christ, the essence of what's being said here, that Jesus being the one and only of the begotten son, that when you look upon Jesus, you're looking at the true essence of God because God has begot Jesus begotten Son, the one and only Son, the monogenus, the monogenus. That's what it means. For God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten Son, his one and only Son. And you know what I love about this is that Jesus makes it really clear when, you know, he's taken on this role as being the Savior of the world, the begotten Son, the one and only Son, the essence of God, God in the flesh, the incarnation. Um, I, I really get the clear picture that Jesus has, well, um, this role of loving the whole world and showing the world how to love. Uh, and I, I love this because um, Jesus even makes this dramatic speech in the book of Acts, the first chapter, the, the eighth verse. And this is when I shared this with you at Pentecost Sunday. He says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I love this because Jesus' love, his role isn't to come and shrink the world but to expand his love in the world. Can I amen on that? Wait, wait, wait. So he says, listen, let's take, let's take this the power of the Holy Spirit, and this take it to the, all the ends of the world. Didn't come to shrink, but expand to, to move it out. So I, I, I got this new word this week. I was watching the news. I'd never heard this word before, but it's my new favorite word this week. Here it is. It's called shrinkflation. I didn't know the word existed. This is what shrinkflation means. It's the term shrinkflation describes brands selling smaller amounts of, pro- of a product for the same price as before. We've all seen shrinkflation. It's almost like the, some of the people who are marketing and making these products are like trying to pull the wool over our eyes. The first time I saw shrinkflation, but I didn't know it was called shrinkflation, but I've learned this this week, it showed up in Breyer's ice cream. Now, all of a sudden, you went from a half gallon, which is two quarts, they shrunk it to a quart and a half. I'm thinking, what are they doing? You don't mess with a half gallon of ice cream. But Bryce decided to shrink shrink it, and guess what they did? They charged us the same price. This just doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, and then, you know what? It showed up, and it showed up, and Candy bars. It showed up in Coca-Cola. It showed up in Wheaties. It showed up in Wheat Thins. It even showed up in your dog's kibbles and bits. I'm pretty sure your dogs aren't reading the packages, but they're dependent on you. This is what we call stringflation. And you know what I love about Jesus In these words of Jesus, Jesus says, Listen, I didn't come to shrink the world. I came to expand the world. And I believe in that. What do you believe? You know, the idea of God, God love, God gave, we believe, we live. Um, You know, I I believe, you know, I believe in a lot of things. There are some things I don't believe in. Like, for example, um, okay, so when I was a kid, I, I, you know, I really believed in the Easter bunny. I loved the Easter bunny. The Easter bunny was like, oh, man, I love the Easter bunny. And then one day, you're not going to believe it, but the Easter bunny actually showed up before the Easter bunny was supposed to show up, and it showed up in the backseat of my mom and dad's car, and it blew my mind. (laughs) what am I going to do? I mean, what's? why is the Easter bunny stuff in the back of my mom's car and it's not even Easter yet? And they got me one of those little punching bags. It was the Easter bunny. It was like the bounce up bozo. You punch it and it pops back up. You know what I'm talking about. And what was, what was he doing in the back of my mom and dad's car? And it made me question. It made me question the whole thing about believing in the Easter bunny or not. I had a hard time with that. You know what's beautiful is that now I have a granddaughter, and she helps me re-believe the Easter Bunny. Here's a picture of my granddaughter. I like showing her up. There she is in her pink tutu fishing. And let me tell you something. That little girl can flat fish. She's good. What do you believe? You know, I believe believe in in the goodness of America. I do believe in that. I know there's a lot of division. I believe in the goodness of the of the United Methodist Church. I know there's a lot of division in that too. But I I believe, I I you know what I I you know, I, I really saw the goodness of America after nine eleven like I'd never seen before in my whole lifetime. I believe in the goodness. I, I there's I simply you know what I I believe in what we just profess just a few minutes ago. Matter of fact, when I was doing the Board of Ordained Ministry when I first back in 34 years ago when they and one of the, my first questions that I had to fill out in my document in my written um, transcript that I had to submit to the Board of ordain, they asked me like all of the candidates, Harold, what do you believe? And I thought, okay, what do I begin with the core of my belief? Well, I guess what? I, I went back to the Apostles' Creed I mean, it really is kind of the foundation. I mean, you get the whole, you get the whole ball and wax right there. I mean, because you go back and look at what just, we just, just said that we, this is what we believe. You know, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And, that, oh, listen, don't, don't miss the detail. Maybe you, when we blew through it this morning, maybe you didn't pay attention, but maybe you did. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Hmm. Who's conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. One and only. And Jesus Christ, his only Son. Our Lord. Don't miss that detail. Our Lord. You know, there's, there's lots of ways of thinking about the Lord. I mean, you know, you go back and I. Lord means someone or something that has power, authority, or influence, a master or ruler. Synonyms master, ruler, leader, superior, monarch, sovereign, king, emperor, prince, governor, baron. Uh, in the British realm, Lord, a man of noble rank or high office, a peer, a title given formally to a baron or an earl, the house of lords so of his members. But in the Christian definition, a name for God or a name for Jesus Christ, Lord. I believe in that, Lord. You know, I was thinking this week. um, One of the things that Locato had mentioned in one of those chapters, and um, it's the the chapter. I think it's one of my great favorite chapters in the book. It talks about the whoever's, and and he gave this uh, this little story. It goes back to September, I believe, September twelfth, eighteen seventy eight, and there was a little boy whose name was F. F W. Boreham, and his mama and daddy put him on a train, and they headed towards London for a big event. Chances are, you don't know what happened September 12, uh, 1878, but it was a big deal in London. And what they were doing on that particular day is that the, the British had brought over this ancient artifact. It was called Cleopatra's Needle. Matter of fact, here's a picture of Cleopatra's needle. This is what it will look back about September 12th, uh, 1878. There's all the townspeople, all of them there. And they're all very excited. Now, listen, this is a big, this is a a major, major deal because this thing is 3,500 years old. And it came from Egypt. I mean, can you imagine shipping that thing all the way across the ocean and they get it there and they drop it? Wow, this is what it looked like then and this is what it looks like today. It's along the River Thames, there in London, and there it sits. And what was interesting is that um, um, F.W. was standing there watching them place this this Cleopatra's needle, and his daddy began to explain to him how historic this thing was. He says, F.W., do you realize that maybe Pharaoh's chariots, they rode right by this 3,000 years ago? He says, do you realize that chances are that Moses would have probably studied under the steps?" of Cleopatra's needle. Wow. And underneath the Cleopatra's needle, what was very interesting is that the people in England, um, I suppose the government, somebody, decided that they were going to put a time capsule, I didn't realize this, underneath the Cleopatra's needle. And so in the time capsule, this is what they put at the base of that major monument that's 3,500 years old. Uh, They put a set of British coins, some children's toys, a city directory, photos of the 12 most beautiful women in all of England, I thought that was interesting, (laughs) a razor, and in 250 languages, John 3.16. Interesting, isn't it? And so one of the things that Cato makes his point, he says, can you imagine maybe two, three, four hundred years from now, you know, somebody stumbles upon the time capsule and she looks at it and thinks, wow, what is this all about? And then the person reads John 3, 16 and thinks, is this really too good to be true? Is this really true or is it a myth? And one of the things Cato wrote in his book, he says, whoever... For God so loved the world that whoever believeth in him. He says, you know, the idea idea whoever, I mean, is this that is whoever include me, includes really everybody? Whoever? And he goes on and says, whoever is the banner for the ages, whoever is the mat is matchless and timeless, whoever unrolls the welcome mat of heaven to humanity, whoever invites the world to God. Whoever. I love that. I love the idea that I'm a whoever. And you're a whoever, right? Aren't we all whoever's? Uh, here's another interesting thing. I, I, the other day I was having a conversation when a lady who isn't a member of our church, she goes to the Episcopalian church, um, she said, she, her one of her friends comes to her church, she says, Pastor, I'm interested in maybe going on your Holy Land trip with you next year. I said, that would be wonderful. Then we had this conversation, and I told her this would be like my tenth time, and we and she said, Can you explain to me a little bit about the his, you know, a little bit about Israel? And I said, sure, we talked a little bit about that. And then she asked me this very interesting question. She says, Pastor Harold, aren't the Jewish people the chosen people? And I said, Well, yes. You know, you go back to the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people are the chosen people. I said, but we have Jesus. And then I went on to explain to her, just like I've shared with you all many, many times, is that, you know, Jesus talks about a new covenant. I mean, when we have the Holy Eucharist, um, um, and Jesus says, um, this is the blood of the new covenant, Jesus establishes, and I love what Andy Stanley had said about this when I went to a seminar several years ago, I learned something new, it was very powerful. He says the old covenant that God established with Abraham and his descendants and all the begetting that went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and all that begetting, right? We have the Old Testament and when you think about the chosen people, he established that covenant with a nation. But then Jesus comes along and he gives us a brand new covenant, the blood of the new covenant which is established with the world i love that for all the whoevers and, and what's very interesting is that when you go and look at john 3:16 um he doesn't say um that uh, for god so loved the world that who, um that who, whoever believe in it. he doesn't use the word whatever he uses the word whoever which is different I mean, for example, um, he didn't say um, the wh- whoever, or he didn't say whatever a Jewish person believes, or whatever a Gentile person believes, or whatever woman believes, or whatever man believes, or whatever black person, or white person, or Hispanic person, or Asian person. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say whatever. He says, whoever, whoever believes in him. I was thinking about that, and once again, how Jesus, in John 3, 16, and we think about Jesus giving us the brand new covenant, but then you think about how John reveals to this and brings Jesus to a whole new height. The one and only is connected to whoever, all of us. And he didn't come to shrink the world, but he came to bring more and more to experience. Love to the world. But let me tell you something. Jesus not only gave us a new covenant, but he also gave us a brand new command. And you've heard me talk about this. And the new command has everything to his love, just as I have loved you. Can we amen on that? I give you a brand new command. So he's given us a new commandment, but he's also given us a new command. And the com- new command is to love just as I have loved you. This is what we are supposed to do. And let me tell you something. You ready? Because it goes back to this whole strengthflation thing, Right? When I think about what's happening in the world, and there's all this sin in the world. We all know that. We're stiff-necked people, whoople headed people. We get, we, we talk, there's chaos in the world. Jesus came to bring order to an out-of-order world. Well, I, I totally understand that. We get that, right? But see, here's what happens, right? When we see things that would happen in Uvalde, and a man goes in and he kills 21 people and 19 of them are children, the world's shrinking. What's happening in Ukraine. The world is shrinking. The other day when, was like it was last week, somebody goes in and they're having a potluck dinner. I think it was in Alabama, Episcopalian Church, and he starts shooting people in the middle of the potluck dinner. The world's shrinking. Two or three weeks ago, a man goes in and he starts targeting people at a supermarket. They weren't just any people, but they're black people. The world's shrinking. You get it. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, raising Him up to new heights. That whoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? Whoever. Uh, here's an interesting thing. I'm. I was sitting at um, men's breakfast this last week, and I was. Uh, Jeff Emilia was giving the devotion, and he was talking about his trip to Spain, and he was giving all these different scripture lessons. And one of the scripture lessons he talked about was what would man. What would it profit a man who gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? And I turned to, and then we had a little group discussion and talked about some of the texts. And I picked that one out. And I was talking to my friend Paul Kramer in the back of the. I said, Paul, you know what's interesting? I was just studying this text that really relates to that particular text and, and the story, the parable. Uh, it's that, that parable where um, Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus. You know, Lazarus is there, he's got open wounds, the dogs come along, and they'd be licking his wounds, I mean, it's just disgusting, it's just awful, and then he was so poor, and he's this beggar, and then there's this other rich guy who's got this posh palace, and and this is Jesus telling the story, and then all of a sudden, man, they both die, wow, and then what's happened is that Lazarus, in his misery, ends up going to heaven, and he's at the bosom of Abraham. Living large. And then there's the rich guy who goes to hell. And he's tormented. And what's very interesting about that story is I love the idea is that Jesus came for the whoever's. And he's willing to accept us however he finds us. And he's always open to have a communication whenever we're willing to listen? Forever. Do you get that? Whoever, however, whenever, for all of us. There's this other great story that um, reminds me about the whoever's and the howevers and the whenevers forever. Okay, there's this, there's this story that um, Jesus, once again, it's a great parable. I would call it the parable of the labor pool, right? Once upon a time, there's this farmer who has, you know, uh, and he goes and he needs some ranch hands for the day. So he goes down to the labor pool, and then they start at 7 o'clock, and he goes down with this four-pickup truck, and he goes and says, hey, anybody want to work? And the, guy, the guys, ran, yeah, we want to work. So they start at 7 o'clock in the morning. Hey, let's hop in the back. Let's go to work. Goes down, and he goes back and he goes back to labor pool at nine o'clock and then later on at noon and he goes at three o'clock. And then at five o'clock, the farmer goes and he's still picking up guys in the labor pool. There's only one hour ready to work left to work. Wow, this is crazy. Who does that? Well, this is a farmer. So the old farmer goes down at five o'clock in the afternoon, he's gonna and then there comes time to square up with all the guys from the labor pool. And as Jesus tells the story, um, the, the, the farmer must have been out of his crazy, he just must have lost his mind. Because you know what he does? He pays them all the same amount of money. I mean, who does that? I mean, here's the interesting thing. And there are a couple little punchlines as Jesus talks about this. Because he 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 says, um, "I I when they say, well, what are you doing, man? Are you... We've been out here since seven o'clock in the morning. This doesn't seem fair. And then the farmer says, "Well, can I do whatever I want? I mean, and can I? If I choose to pay you the same amount as the other, I can do what I choose to do, right?" And and so there's there's that punchline. And then there's this other kind of punchline in that when he says, you know. Um, Maybe, when I think about the story, I mean, you can't run a farm. It doesn't make financial sense to pay people for one hour of work, but you're going to pay them a whole day's salary. You're going to go bankrupt. But maybe that's the point. And maybe the point is is that you can't bankrupt God on grace because He has an endless supply. Can of amen on that? OK. So when you look at the story, I mean, there's that punchline, but then there's this also punchline that I love Lakato's point. He says, deathbed converts and lifelong saints all enter through the same pearly gates. In other words, when you think about the timing of this parable, I mean, hey, just ask the thief on the cross about an 11th hour God. Let me say that again. Deathbed converts and lifelong saints all enter through the same gates. Here's the last little parable. I love this one. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the story of the prodigal son. And you want to learn about that particular parable. Once again, the the whole, all three of these parables, it has everything with whoever believes in him, however he finds you. Whenever you hear this voice, he's always open it, and his grace is forever whoever, however, whenever, forever. There's a theme to all this. So Jesus is telling this story about the prodigal son. So they got the the younger son and the elder son. The elder son does everything he's supposed to do. He's a goody two shoes. He says, he's perfect. And then you have the elder, the younger son who's just gonna go and sow his wild oats. He says, dad, I want my fair share of the inheritance. And so the father gives it to him. And what was very interesting, I never knew this until this week. It, it, and the, if you go back and look at the text. Don't miss the detail. He he says it says, and so the son goes and wastes all the father's money. Wastes it. The word waste literally means it comes from the and the original Greek has to do with sowing seeds. Oh wait a minute. There's a thought. So the 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 son takes the father's money and he wastes it and it's like throwing seeds or ultimate, like throwing money to the wind. Don't get excited, they're only one dollar bills. <laughs> and yet the father, after the son wastes all the money, he still Willing to run to the edge of the driveway when the son comes back and embraces him and loves him. Whoever, however, whenever, forever. Wow, did you get that? So I, I close with this little thought. So my, my God bless my wife. She's, she's so good. You know, my wife is, she's an amazing woman. She's preaching right now. She's finishing up at her church. And, you know, she teaches full time at the charter school. She's also a remarkable cook. So um, I asked her for my, this illustration. I said, honey, will you please, can you make me a, a cake? And so what's interesting is that um, what happens is she really likes baking, and so she makes a really great pound cake, but she also makes a chocolate chip pound cake that's really, really good. And so what happens is um, she makes, and, and, uh, uh, and so she, I can smell it. I mean, when you start to bake, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Okay, so then, and then I'll say, um, who is that cake for? And she said, don't touch it. I, I, that's for that's for the girls at work. I am gonna take that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then she'll make another one. Oh man. I say, who's that? Who's that for? No, nope, don't touch it. Don't no no. Who's that? Well, it's for a potluck dinner tomorrow. I, I need to take that, so don't 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 dive into it. Okay. <laughs> but I love it. I love it when Mrs. Hendren bakes a cake and I say, honey, who's that cake for? And then she says, whoever. (laughs) So here's a thought for the day. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whoever, however he finds us, whenever we call upon his name, he's willing to answer